This is the place. You have come to the right place. This is the place, the place where you've been looking to find faith. Absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. That's how we think about faith here. We think of it as absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we stretch that confidence in God's direction. We live in a time when too many people yield to that temptation to shrink from God. You know, God does stretch us in His direction. He invites us to step up. That's what I mean by stretching. He invites us into adventures we might not ever try on our own. And so we, you and I, during these moments we spend, we are going to stretch in God's direction and we are going to help each other develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Well, I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida, a real church, real people. We have all the real problems everybody else has. And we have been challenging ourselves to think deeply and carefully about important things. Every now and then I think about something, and I wonder, should I actually bring this up at church? And then I remind myself that we have smart people around here. We have people who are up to the challenge. We have people who don't mind hearing what really needs to be told. And so I take courage and do that. Now, it wasn't really too big of a leap for me to bring this next topic up to our church, and we talked about it last Sunday. And I've been thinking a lot about it, and I'll probably think more about it, but here's a first pass at it. Well, what do I mean by it? Well, you may have heard that something took place some days ago now, called the Super Bowl. Well, that's a football game, and some people say I couldn't care less, and some people say, really, what's a Super Bowl? I get all that. You don't have to care about it. But what's interesting about the Super Bowl is all of the attention that it gathers and the commercials that they show during the game. Now, most of the time, we don't think about commercials as being something compelling, but over over time, the Super Bowl has developed a bit of a reputation for having creative and unusual commercials. Well, there was a creative and some would say unusual commercial related to faith in God. And you may have seen it. You may not have seen it. It's a little hard to describe it without you seeing it. It's only 60 seconds long, and you can find it if you do an internet search, and you can watch it. But it has to do with a lot of pictures, and, and most of the time is taken up by pictures of one person washing the feet of another person. And it's always, in every one of those cases, Two people are portrayed as being on opposite sides of an issue. For example, one of the portrayals is of a guy who runs an oil business and out in the oil fields, and the other person involved and whose feet are being washed is an environmental activist. You would never expect that to happen, but they wanted to make a point and to draw our attention to, to that. Another one was a picture of a young lady outside of a parenting clinic or a, um, what would you say? Well, we would call it an abortion clinic. I'm not sure it's exactly that's how it's portrayed in the picture. I don't remember what they put on the side, but it's, it implies that this person is considering or pursuing an abortion. And it has that young lady sitting in a chair and a woman who appears to be someone who stands outside these 
so-called clinics and praise, washing her feet. Well, they're trying to draw attention to how we need to uh, think better about each other. And they, they've kind of ended with a few statements on the screen. They don't, there's no voice that speaks. There's a song that plays. But they, but they portray that on the screen with several things about Jesus didn't teach hate. He washed feet. He gets us, all of us. And the admonition then to love your neighbor. Well, we want to talk about this because this, this commercial got a lot of people's attention. Uh, and to be sure, some of it in the right way. I've read some things about people who took a serious look at Jesus because of the commercial. Now, that's all good. There were other people. In fact, I got a text from someone during the Super Bowl that didn't respond well to the commercial at all and wondered what in the world's going on. And I understood that too. So I thought we ought to unpack some of this a little bit and we ought to think carefully about it and we ought to give ourselves space to consider the good and maybe the not so good. And then you can decide where you land on some of these things because in that 60 seconds, believe it or not, and if you haven't seen it, you'll want to see it. In that 60 seconds was a lot of theology because the conclusions that they were coming to by showing the pictures they showed and the text that they put on the screen truly represented some theological understandings and they wanted you to think carefully about some things and to consider God from the perspective that they were presenting. So anyway, I brought this up at church last week because it had been on my mind and I really believed that the that the Lord would have us talk about some of these things that are going on in the culture so we understand how, how to respond to them, what to think about them, how do we go forward in the midst of all of this. And so I, I prepared a lot of stuff, and, and we're going to talk about a lot of what I prepared today. But for our church, I did something a little different, so I thought, well, why don't we start out this way here? I started out by saying that one of the things we wanted to do, and one of the things I want to do here, is to make sure that we we shine more light on this and not just generate heat. A lot of times when these sort of controversial things come up, or you may think of it as very controversial, then people respond with a lot of heat and angst and sometimes venom. I haven't seen that on this particular one, but people really push back against some of this stuff, and, and some of it has been very insightful, and I've appreciated it. Some of it, I've wondered if it's just another opportunity for someone to, um, to find a target to be upset about. Well, we don't want to do that, but we want to understand what's happening here so we can ask ourselves, is the theology that comes out of this 60-second commercial, is it right? Is it helpful? Is it true? And I'll give you the opportunity to make your own conclusions about that here. I'm not here to, to coerce or anything like that, your perspective. I'm here to challenge us to stretch in God's perspective, in God's direction, and to adopt God's perspective on that. So please understand, I'm not trying to add heat to the fire. I'm trying to shine light and the light of truth onto all of the things that are brought up by that particular video. So we're, we're going to do that. We're also going to make sure that we remember to let the Bible be our guide. And I remind myself, and I've tried to develop this habit. I'm not sure I do it as well as I'd like to, even though I've tried to develop the habit for a lot of years. When something like this comes up, I try to say, now, what does the Bible say about this situation or my reaction to this situation or somebody else's reaction? Or what does the Bible say is the truth 
that needs to be conveyed that they maybe are trying to convey. So I'm reminding us that in the midst of this thinking out loud here, we need to consider that the Bible should be our guide, not my opinion. Now, to be sure, all interpretation of the Bible comes down to us making an interpretive decision. I get that. Some people call that an opinion. What I try to do with interpretive decisions is make sure they are text-based. Because you know, and I know, my opinion doesn't matter. What God says is what matters. It's all that matters. So I don't want this to be opinion. I don't want this to be just a bunch of heat talking about how they should have done this or they should have done that. We'll push back on some things. But the point is we want to shine the light of God's truth letting the Bible be our guide so that we can understand that. And I, I come at this from the sense that, that people intuitively watched this commercial. Many people did. Not everybody, but, but many people did. And they sensed that something was not quite right about it, but they couldn't put their finger on it necessarily. But, but it was somehow seemed to be off a little bit. Or some people might have thought a little more than a little bit. Now, to be sure, some good has come out of it, and I don't want to diminish that because some people were challenged to investigate Jesus. Well, and that's good, and we'll talk about that just a little bit uh, from a biblical example. But I want us to make sure we keep that perspective, that we're trying to shine the light of God's truth. We want the Bible to be our guide, and we, we can take our intuition only so far until we get back to what does God say, we want to make sure we're, we're on God's wavelength with this kind of stuff, not our own. So one of the things that I was interested in doing, and I really didn't know how the people of our church were considering this. I knew a little bit, but not a lot. And so I, I decided on Sunday morning, early when I was working on this, uh, reviewing it even before church, because it re- it's really been on my mind. And so I took some time to review what I was going to present by way of a sermon, and it occurred to me that it sure would be nice to know what people were thinking, and maybe we could make it this a kind of instant sermon. And so that's what I did. I passed out the usual three-by-five cards. We used that simple method where people write a question down when we have instant sermon. Um, and by the way, instant sermon, I refer to it like I'm assuming all of you know what that is. Well, instant sermon is what we do on the fifth Sunday of a month. Four times during the year, a month, we'll have five Sundays. So on that fifth Sunday, we typically, although it has to be moved sometimes because of calendar or schedule, whatever, but typically on the fifth Sunday, we have what we call instant sermon. And that's simple. Pass out three by five cards, ask people to write a question, or if they've been wondering about a Bible verse, they write it down. We collect all of them. The ushers bring them to me, and we go through them and have a conversation about what's on people's minds. And, and there's no particular structure to it that people can or cannot ask certain questions. It's just, what's on your mind? How can we help each other? And so that's what we do. So that's kind of what I did with this one. Although I said, what do you have thoughts about or questions about or wondering this or that or about, about this commercial? Now, I think some of the people in church hadn't seen it, which isn't a surprise. You know, people just aren't all that interested in those kind of things sometimes. That's fine. But I did get three responses, and so I thought, well, we did it at church. Maybe we could do it here. So I want to give you those responses from people in our church. These are people that have been thinking about this and wondering about it, and and then we'll talk about some of them, and then we'll get into some of my thoughts. I, I have 
know there is much more that could be said about this subject. That's pretty much true on any subject, but I wanted to see how we could be helpful and how we could begin to process this whole business in a way that would help us grow in God's direction and not simply be reactive to something that makes us feel uncomfortable. So let me start out here with the people's the people's questions or thoughts. So the first person says, My thought is that the name of Jesus was heard by millions. Many have discussed this ad, and it can never be a bad thing to have, a dis- to have discussions about Jesus. As Billy Graham used to say, quote, With modern communications, no man can say he has not heard the name of Jesus. End of quote. Well, and that's true, and I agree with the person who wrote that down. It's always good to have a conversation about Jesus. And this did spark some, and some of what I have read indicates that some people have taken a serious look at Jesus. Now, it's important that they identify what the true person and work and message of Jesus is, but at least it's the beginning that they would begin to investigate that based upon the commercial. And for that, we can all be thankful. We can all be thankful that people will give Jesus a serious look. I agree with that. I want to talk about what to do when somebody is proclaiming or talking about Jesus in a way that makes you uncomfortable. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But somebody else wrote, looking at the website, now what that means is, if you're not familiar with it, the the commercial pointed people to a website for more information. So this person says, looking at the website, Promotes Jesus is the world's as the world's greatest love story. So yeah, I remember that. It's been a while since I've looked at the website, but it does promote Jesus as the world's greatest love story. They continue. Their stated agenda is, and this person quotes from the website, I, I, I think. Their stated agenda is, quote, to rediscover the love story of Jesus, Christians, non-Christians, and everyone in between, all of us, end of quote. Also, this nonprofit group, the writer continues, believes, as stated on their website, quote, that Jesus was human and divine, he rose from the dead, and no, and no more, end of quote. Now, I'm not sure what, what that exactly means. I'm not going to get into that because it's true, Jesus is human and divine. I don't know exactly what the writer was talking to about here, so I don't want to. I don't want to make any kind of statement or accusation or anything that would be interpreted as an accusation against what the website apparently said, because I'm not real sure what their their point here was. But the per- person continues, and this final statement here, they use the whole card by the way, front and back. There is no mention of Jesus as our Savior, or hope in eternal kingdom of God, etc. And, and that's true. That commercial did not mention Jesus as Savior or anything about the kingdom of God or anything about the hope of heaven or anything like that. So whether or not they should have is a different question, but they did not mention Jesus as Savior. One of the things that caught my attention, though, from this writer's card was this. And, and they quoted the, the website, and I'm not taking a shot at the website, except for this and this is this is a concern I've had about from a lot of people it's not just this website but the writer on the card that that was turned in at our church said this that that the website agenda is quote to rediscover the love story of Jesus and then they write a little bit more of the quote but I'm going to stop right there one of the things that has always uh, how how do I say just kind of ruffled my antenna or raise my 
concern is when I've heard people refer to the story of Jesus as a love story. Well, it could be me. It could be my life experience. It could be a lot of things. So take it for what it is or isn't. But it always consistently alarms me, concerns me, makes me uncomfortable. What else can I say? When we refer to the story of Jesus as the love story of Jesus. Now, I know, you know, we're not arguing about did Jesus demonstrate love for people. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is full of expressions of God's love for people. There's no question about that. Okay, so I get that God loves people. For God so loved the world, John 3.16, right? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. Well, I get that. God loves the world. He loves all of creation, people, people most, by virtue of creation. But I don't think it's appropriate to refer to that as a love story. And the reason I say that, and the reason that may get some of your attentions as well, is that we use that expression, love story, usually in a romantic sense. And that's fine. We can have romantic conversations and understand romance, but I just don't think it communicates very well to call the story of Jesus and the love of God for his creation a love story. It just mixes something else into it. Yes, I understand that there's both a connotation and a denotation. Yes, it's true it's a love story. It denotes the Bible does a love story. But the connotation of the word love story just mixes something in there that I don't think is helpful. So that kind of got my attention. And then uh, somebody raises the question of who's behind all of this. And, and that's a good question. I look into that just because I thought it might help. And it didn't particularly in this case help me know where they're coming from and and what their assumptions about God are. And I say assumptions in the sense that we all come to the to the study of the Bible and of understanding God from from our experience and from our life. And so we always have to realize that we have certain uh, things that we've kind of concluded about God. And I I wanted to know where the person was coming from or the people was coming from. I I didn't get a lot of helpful information on that a little bit, but not enough to 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 bother talking about. So let's go through some of the thoughts that I had, and and I think we can cover them. We've got enough time, and I'm going to spend the whole time on this because I just think it's so important. And I I don't, don't pretend this is the last word on it, but it's important for us to begin thinking about it. I hope you will think about it carefully. So the whole video, the whole commercial centers on, except for the last little bit, few seconds, centers on these pictures of people washing each other's feet. And usually it's, as I said earlier, someone washing the feet of another person with whom they disagree about something significant like abortion. In this case, it's very interesting. On the abortion one, it it showed a young woman who may be a candidate for abortion. It doesn't say she is, but but the implication is there being washed by uh, another woman who's a little older that seems to fit what we would expect from someone who would be praying outside of these uh, centers, planning centers, whatever you want to call them, abortion centers is what I tend to call them. I don't think it does any good to call them by benign names when they're really set up and designed to end the life of a baby. 
But anyway, it shows that this woman who would be praying for these young women, young potential mothers, washing the feet of one of them, but it doesn't show the other way around. I found that very interesting. And, and that's part of what you might want to think about as you go through that video. And you might ask yourself, well, why does it show this person washing that person's feet instead of the other way around? Well, the reason they show it the way they do is because they want to make the point they want to make. And, and we just need to be aware of that and, and, not, and not be fooled by it. Okay, so let's, let's talk about this a little bit. The whole idea of, um, of, of the video is kind of summarized at the end when they bring up this, uh, ho- these few statements that are, that are displayed on the screen. So the screen shows the words, Jesus didn't teach hate, he washed feet. Well, that's very interesting. It's true. So let's give them credit. It's true. Jesus did not teach hate. There's nowhere in the Bible that shows that God is a God of hate toward people. God is not at all happy with evil, and he is going to handle evil decisively at the end of time. The Bible teaches that. But God does not hate people. He loves them and wants them to be his, to be reconciled to him. So it's true, Jesus didn't teach hate. But notice that the the contrast is trying to say Jesus didn't teach hate, but the contrast they're saying is not that Jesus taught love, but that Jesus washed feet. And I find that a very unusual juxtaposition, okay? Now, they probably did that, maybe so we would find it unusual. Okay, for whatever reason they did it, they did it. And it really isn't appropriate if you're making a consistent argument. I think it just changes the subject in a way that is not helpful. You see, Jesus didn't go about washing feet. He didn't travel the countryside washing feet. You can read the Gospels for yourselves and you will discover that. There's one recorded incident of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. That was in the upper room just prior to his crucifixion. That was the one and only time the Bible records that Jesus washed feet. So to say that Jesus didn't teach hate, he washed feet, indicates or implies that a big part of Jesus' mission was to wash feet. And that is not the case based upon the eyewitness testimony and the story of Jesus from the Bible. He just didn't do that. He did it once in one situation. To draw that out into other things simply is, a, is at best a distortion, a misrepresentation. Now, one of the other things that we should make sure we recognize is when it said Jesus didn't teach hate. Well, it's true. We need to understand that, that while Jesus didn't teach hate, we need to understand that the word hate is used in a peculiar way in our world. Hate is often used to say you don't agree with me or you don't affirm me or you don't support me. And if you disagree with me and if you don't support me, then you're a hater. Okay, that is a very new use of the word hate, but we need to understand it's used that way. I don't think it's right. I think it's entirely wrong. You can disagree with someone. You can try to stop one from someone from doing something out of love. You don't show love by agreeing and supporting everything someone wants to do. If you came to my town and wanted to walk down the main north-south street in Cape Coral, Florida, that is busy in both directions almost all day, 
and you would say, I'm just going to walk down the road and trust God to protect me from getting hit by a car, I would tackle you and wrestle you to the ground and hold you down until I persuaded you not to get out in traffic because I know you would have a bad end if you're out in that traffic. Well, that's love, isn't it? But I wouldn't be agreeing with what you wanted to do. I would be stopping you. So you see this whole idea that that it's hate if we disagree or try to stop someone from doing something that's harmful, uh, that just doesn't stand up to scrutiny. If we as parents had never disagreed with our children and stopped them from doing harmful things, our children wouldn't have survived. They just didn't know any better sometimes. So you see, that's that idea that, that failing to agree with me, failing to support me, failing to let me do what I want to do or be what I want to be or say what I want to say without challenge, that, that idea of love just doesn't hold up and it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. But nonetheless, we have to recognize that that's the position some people take. And so when they talk about love and, and hate, they mean different things typically. And we have to be careful to discern that so we'll understand what's going on. You don't have to agree with their definition, but you do have to understand it in order to manage. Well, that's a beginning look at this. We've got several other things to talk about. For example, I want to talk about how the video introduces Jesus versus how Jesus introduced himself. And I want to talk about this idea of love a little bit further. What does it mean? Because we know the Bible says that we're to love. We're to love God with everything we've got, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, And we agree with that. And all of my life, I have known the church and Christians to live by that. They are characterized by love. They don't always agree, but that doesn't mean they don't love us. Sometimes disagreeing with us is real love. Well, we'll get back to this in just a minute, but we're going to take a break. I hope you'll stay with us. I'm Pastor Rick. Who's got time for a nasal invasion messing up your lifestyle? Crush those nasties before they become a problem. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order with the coupon code OUTLOUD, you'll receive 20% off the entire purchase. Go to americaoutloud.shop. That's americaoutloud.shop and use coupon code OUTLOUD. Use Cofix RX because it works. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cholesterol, blood pressure, blood sugar, inflammation, and weight. These are all real-world problems that 87% of Americans are struggling with. Fight back with HealRight. HealRight is a bar you eat, but it's food as medicine that addresses the nutritional root cause of health issues in just eight weeks. Take action today. Visit HealRight.com slash OutLoud or AmericaOutloud.shop and use the code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Spike proteins help viruses enter into your cells, disrupting your health and your well-being. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body of spike proteins, which allows your body to repair from within, supporting your immune and respiratory systems and regulating your inflammatory response. 
formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe. Air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order risk-free love it or your money back guaranteed healthycell.com code out loud asia believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them from improving immune health and supporting gut health to reducing the appearance of wrinkles and even improving mind mood and energy make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential asia we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. When God, through his grace and mercy, gave us free will, the will of the people was to live freely. To that end, we fight for the liberty of all at a time when global tyranny threatens us as never before in mankind's history. This vision is manifest at AmericaOutloud.news, a site for all who cherish free will and freedom. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. back. I'm Pastor Rick, and you're listening to Faith Is. We stretch in God's direction because we want to have the kind of faith that has absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And I'm glad you're here listening, and I hope you're struggling along with me or tracking along with me or thinking along with me, however it might be. But don't dismiss this stuff we're talking about because it really is the stuff of what's going on in our world. Sometimes you and I have difficulty believing people believe the, the things they say they believe, but we need, to, we need to believe that they're struggling with these things and we need to find ways to help. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to unpack this a little bit to understand and to make sure we have good judgment about the things that go on. We've been talking about the Super Bowl commercial that featured different people washing each other's feet and what that meant and then what they said at the end. And we last left off, we were talking about some of what the text on the screen said at the end of the commercial. And we talked about the, the statement that it said, Jesus didn't teach hate, he washed feet. 
And we talked about that that really only happened one time. We talked about some of the implications of hate. We talked about how it's really not a proper comparison to say Jesus didn't teach hate and compare that to he washed feet, because that really, we ought to talk about what he taught, not one isolated act with his disciples. That's not diminishing the importance of that incident in the upper room. That's just being honest to have, if we're going to talk about hate, let's talk about what he did teach. Because he didn't teach hate, he taught something else. And we need to we need to focus on that. So that was one of the text things that was on the screen. Most of the screen was pictures accompanied by music. Then at the end, there were some text statements. And one of the statements was, he, referring to Jesus, he gets us, all of us. And I found that very interesting. He gets us, all of us. And, and you know, I, I guess I found it interesting because, uh, well, duh, of course he does. Why would we think otherwise? Jesus created us. Why would he not get us and understand us? And, of course, I remembered, and maybe you're thinking about it too, that the Bible says that he does understand us. So I looked that up in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. And let me read that. And it reminds us that he does get us. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who, in every respect, has been tested as we are, yet without sin. So right there, we know clearly from the Bible that Jesus understands what it's like to be human. There's no question he was both human and divine. He was tempted the same as we are. Jesus was every bit as human as anybody you know, and and maybe more human than anybody you know because he didn't sin. But that's a little different discussion. So he does get us. There's no question about that. I'm kind of interested, a little surprised, frankly, but I'm interested that, that the makers of the commercial thought they needed to communicate to people that Jesus understands us. And I'm, I'm a little concerned that the culture at large would get to the point that they don't think Jesus understands them. Now, I understand some of why that might be, but I think that's interesting that they noticed that phenomenon and picked up on it. However, I don't think it's necessarily so much that we need to explain that Jesus gets us. That could come off, and I think it does come off to some people, as an excuse. Well, Jesus knows our weaknesses. Jesus knows we can't live up to that or live that way or we can't get over this problem or whatever. That's not the message of the Bible. And so one of the things that kind of got my attention was a a gentleman who I'm acquainted with, Ishmael Hernandez, wrote this in response to the statement he gets us. He wrote, of course he does. The question is if we get him. We don't need to accommodate Jesus to the culture. It is the other way around. And you can tell by Ishmael's response there that that he understands what's going on in this commercial. He understands what they're trying to do. They're trying to to accommodate Jesus to a world that that has not responded to him, that seems to reject him, that doesn't maybe know what to do with him. And he wants to make sure that, that, yes, Jesus does get us, 
Our problem is not that. Our problem is, do we get Jesus? And that's really true. The bigger issue is, do we get Jesus? How do we convince people to take a look at Jesus so they understand him and his expectations and the good news of the gospel? So he gets us, all of us, and then it ends with, love your neighbor. Well, everybody loves their neighbor, don't they? Well, maybe not everybody, but some of us have neighbors that are hard to love. I, I hear you out there worried about that. But really, let's, let's cut to the chase. We understand that, that God has always called us to love our neighbors. Whether it's easy or not is a different question. The admonition has always been to love our neighbors. And, and to be honest, I think most of us work very hard to do that try very hard to be that kind of people. I, I hope so. If you're listening to this program, I ho- hope you will stretch in God's direction by loving your neighbor. And this whole idea of loving your neighbor comes out of the conversation Jesus had with some people that asked him, how did, how did he sum up the commandments? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus in response, and you can read that in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. It's uh, very easy to pick up, very easy to read. Well, maybe I'll just grab my Bible here and read that. For us. I'll read it from the New International Version. It's very clear. Jesus said in response to what's the most important commandment? Verse 29. The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So there you go. See, we know that that we're supposed to love our neighbor. That's absolutely the right admonition. No question about it. The thing that got my attention was not that idea of love your neighbor as much as the whole context of the of the 60 seconds. And, and I understand you can't communicate everything in 60 seconds, but it seemed to me they left out the love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It seems to me they left out that love for God precedes love for neighbor. And if there's anything that I've noticed among what people I think are good-hearted is that it's very, how should I say, common, or maybe I should say it's not uncommon, however way you want to think about it, for people to put love for neighbor ahead of love for God. You see, we don't want to fall into that trap and maybe a little bit that video could be pointing us in that direction. I'll give you an example. I often hear the statement, family first. Every time I hear that, my pastor (laughs) sense goes off, and I go, ah, no. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible is very clear that God comes first. Now, I get it. Sometimes people don't think that carefully or deeply about things. And so they're trying to point out the importance of family. I get it. Some people have come from difficult families, and so they want to correct that in their own family. I'm not unsympathetic to that, but I am very concerned that we forget that love for God precedes love for neighbor or even family. Okay. Now, the other thing about this is this idea of love for neighbor includes telling the truth. And some people picked up on it, and I think I would agree with them, that this 60 seconds, and again, I know it's only 60 seconds, but it was pretty clear in 60 seconds, they weren't focusing on 
telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about the gospel. They were intent on telling a small slice of that that doesn't get to the real heart of things. If we're going to be reconciled to God, if we're going to have the right kind of love, there's more going on than what they portray. And one way we love is by telling the truth. And I've said for a long time, in this day and age, the greatest gift the church has to the world we live in is to tell the truth. Because there is so much deception and so many lies going on out there that we're just in serious danger of being totally deluded and messed up. So we need to tell the truth. And one of the things about telling the truth is God calls us to repent, to change our lives, to follow what Jesus says is, and this is the way to live. And that's absolutely critical. You know, some people will come along and they'll just say, well, I prayed a prayer and it didn't work for me. Well, you know, I, I understand what they're saying, but they're sadly mistaken. It's not about do I pray a prayer, do I follow a formula, and suddenly it's got to work on my terms or the way I think it should. No, following Jesus is a reorientation of life, all of life, that changes to follow him, do what he says, follow his practices, follow his example, all of those kinds of things. So that's important. Now, a little bit on the humorous side, but only a little bit, I saw one person whose, whose work I really respected. I thought it was really good. I don't know this person, but, but he has a, a stellar reputation, deep thinker. But he said uh, he apologized in, in a post that he put out there that, that the ad didn't have a message of repentance because he had said that it didn't have a message of repentance. And he said, no, he, he thought the ad did have a message of repentance after all, but the message of repentance was aimed at the church as though accusing the church of not loving some of these people portrayed in the video. Well, I can understand why people would have taken that away from, from watching the commercial. And that is not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about repentance. I'm talking about the kind of repentance that leads to godliness and to right living as defined by Jesus. Yes, Jesus loves us enough to say to us, we need to change our lives and we need to follow him. So this whole idea of love then comes down to another thought that, that I've been wrestling with and, and, I, and I'm trying to figure out how to make sure I communicate it carefully. But this focus on love, you know, love your neighbor is a good one. But the whole idea of love is often used as an excuse for not following what the Bible says. So, you know, over time you've heard people say, well, if you love me, you'll let me. You know, that's just a big bunch of baloney because that's not consistent with our understanding of love as being our every intention being for the welfare of the person who's loved. And sometimes we don't let them do dumb things because it's not a loving thing to let somebody mess up their life. We wouldn't consider it love to let somebody get addicted to heroin, for example. So we intercept them in an attempt to keep them away from it. That's, that's love. So one of the things that I, I think we need to really remind ourselves is when it comes to this idea of love, we need to make sure that this love is properly ordered. If love gets all mixed up and isn't properly ordered, we won't love as God defines love. 
And we, unless we have love for God, that means we are changing our lives and we are following Jesus, our allegiances to him, and we are doing what he says, following his practices in every area of our life, then we don't have properly ordered love. And we can't have properly ordered love unless God comes first. And we can't have properly ordered love unless all of the love that we are trying to practice is animated by, make, made alive by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's only the presence of the Holy Spirit and a, and a proper understanding of God comes first and then our neighbor that will help us have properly ordered love. And that's what I'm referring to there. Love isn't just this kind of nebulous idea. It's a more concrete thing that we need to, we need to practice and pursue. So let's kind of go back to this whole idea and, and, and consider a few responses here, a few ideas. So one of the things that I mentioned a little bit earlier on was that I thought it was great that Christ was proclaimed. I think that anytime you get an audience of that size and you can put some attention on Jesus, that is a good thing. If you can introduce Jesus into a conversation where he hasn't been present or he has only been used as an expletive, it's a good thing. So I, I completely agree with that. Paul, the apostle, writing from a jail to the church in Philippi, was happy that Christ is preached. Some people might have been upset because some people were preaching when he couldn't because he was in jail, but he was happy that Christ was proclaimed. That's a good thing. And, and to be sure, in this first story I referred to, Jesus talking about the good thing that his message is proclaimed, there were some people that were doing things in Jesus' name, but they weren't part of Jesus' group. They weren't disciples. They weren't part of his, his core followers. And so his disciples said, maybe we should tell them to knock it off. And Jesus said, no, no, if they're not against us, they could be for us. And if they're for us, they're not going to be against us. So he mixed that kind of in there to remind us that the fact that people are focusing on Jesus is a good thing. Now, the qualifier is that we want to make sure that, that Christ is preached accurately. We don't want to drift off message because that's critical that we should get the story correct and we should tell people the story, or the correct story, I should say. So that brings me to this, this idea that um, of, of, of keeping the story straight, of how Jesus introduced himself. And as I think about all of this and process all of this, I'm reminded of, of what I was taught years ago out of a little small volume that was used to help us, really an excellent little book. It wasn't extensive, but it was really insightful. And one of the things that was trying to teach us was how to understand and interpret the Bible. And one of the phrases that has always stuck with me is that we who un read, study, interpret, preach, teach the Bible need to always, and here it is, keep the sacred story straight. And so that's part of my concern over this short video. I realize I can't communicate everything. I've, I've said that enough times, you understand that. But one of the things that I asked myself was they were introducing Jesus. It was interesting how they chose to introduce Jesus. But how did Jesus introduce himself? Well, if you go to the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, you will discover that Jesus himself presented himself, and he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I'm 
using my words, not an exact quote of any um, Bible that I know of. So if you go look and you say, well, it doesn't say it exactly that way, I get that. But that's what Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. So what he was saying is, in my presence, because of who I am, the kingdom of God has come near. It's here. And that's good. And then he says, repent, believe the good news. So the idea of repent sometimes gets our attention, and sometimes we wonder what that means. Well, simplest way I know how to say it is it means change your life. See, Jesus didn't come to people and just say, okay, I'm going to agree with whatever you're doing, and you're fine. Here I am. No, he came to them, and he said, you want to have a better life? Here's what you need to do. And so he taught them what they needed to do, how to satisfy God, how to live right and upright, and how to live in alignment with the covenant. That was a big way they expressed it in those days. And so he's really saying to them two things, change your life and believe in me. Well, that's important. That's not vague. That's not kind of, sort of. In, in the context of the whole thing, there, there are two things Jesus has asked us to believe. Notice he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. What are we to believe? We're to believe that a new king has arrived, that Jesus conquers everything. He is king, the one true God. So we need to understand that. And second, because he's the one true God, it makes all the sense in the world that we should change our lives to live in alignment with the one true God. I think that makes sense. That's how Jesus introduced himself to people. Now, the other thing that that occurs to me is that partly because of the way the video presents the information that it presents, and partly because it's the kind of the tenor of our times, is it seems to me that that people have forgotten or denied that there is a solution for sin. And that's one of the core tenets of the Bible. There is a solution to the problem of evil, to the problem of sin. And we find that well portrayed in the scriptures over and over. One of the best portrayals comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And maybe you should look this up, but I'm going to use the... um, the New International Version, to read this part of it from chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, because it's really a succinct statement of the gospel message. And so 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. So it's clearly focusing on the gospel, the good news that the writer Paul preached to them which you received, he continues, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So it's a gospel that saves if we hold firmly to the truth of that gospel. All right, so far so good. So it's a gospel that saves. He goes on in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So there you go. The first thing that he mentions is that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So it's scripturally consistent that Jesus, the Messiah, died. That's where we introduce the idea of a cross. He died for sins, clearly stated right here. Continuing verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So again, all of this lines up with the scriptures they had, what we call the Old Testament. So Jesus died and was raised, 
on the third day. That's resurrection, in case you don't realize what he's talking about. He died and was raised on the third day. That's the good news. And it's what saves us because he died for our sins so we could be saved from sins. The idea of forgiveness flows out of that. Okay, so let's go on. You ready to go a little bit further? Let's go ahead and go down a few more verses and see what else we can learn here from this passage. So let's go down to verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. That's the idea that we are saved from death to life. That is the gospel clearly stated in the New Testament. That Jesus died, was raised, and we can have forgiveness of sins. And it's a really, it's a change. It's properly ordered love. It takes away the false identity because now we are founding, finding our identity in Christ. It's all very well said. There is a solution for sin. Now, the part of the problem today is we don't want to believe there is sin. And we want to change the definition of things and, and not call it sin. And people don't believe that there's a Savior that can deliver them from evil. They don't believe the good news. They're, they're, they just don't think there's any hope. And so they have to change their way of thinking, their beliefs, to suit their lack of hope. So they, they maybe don't believe or maybe they refuse to do the hard work of changing. You know, they don't want to cooperate with grace. Maybe they enjoy sin. I don't, I don't know. I can't read their mind. But they just don't want to accept that there's any hope for them. Or they want to be told they're fine like they are. And that denies sin. Now, we can't be saved if we deny sin. Because Jesus came, as the gospel clearly said in 1 Corinthians 15 that I read, that Jesus came and that gospel saves from sin. That's an important thing to understand. Absolutely critical for us to understand. Now, there's another video out there that you might want to go look for, and it's the one that some people say should have been made and shown at the Super Bowl instead of the one that was. I would encourage you to look for that one. You can do a simple internet search, and I'm sure you'll find it. It's, it's easy to find. Lots of people are looking at it. But it essentially identifies a whole bunch of people that used to be trapped in their trespasses and sins. They were dead to God, but it identifies them as they used to be. One of them is a porn star. No more. Used to be an addict. No more. And it goes on a long list of people and that's consistent with what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There's a whole long list in that passage, and you can look it up, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. A whole long, long, lassage, long, long list, a long passage of things that people used to be trapped by, and they are no more. The passage clearly says, such were some of you. You know, the good news of the gospel is that we can be made new. We don't have to be what we have been. And that is what is so missing in some of our conversations today. We simply assume that's just the way I am. And Jesus does love us. Maybe you're wrestling with something. Jesus does love you, but he loves you too much to leave you in that spot. He wants you to be a former 
and you fill in the blank. He wants you to be raised to new life, to have life and have it to the full. John 10.10, a terrific verse. I am come that they might have life and have it to the full. That's the point of the gospel. Not to excuse or to assume that this is just the way I am. You have to understand that and let me be who I am. We know who you are. You were created in the image of a God who loves you very much. No matter what you think of yourself, he thinks of what you can become. And he wants to enter your life and by the power and the change of the Holy Spirit and your cooperation with grace, make you a person you never imagined you could be. It's called salvation. He wants to save. Would you like him to save you? Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I'm Pastor Rick.